Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Not too long ago, I was incredibly hungry, which, if you know me, is all the time. Uh, I was in the car at the time, and I, I thought that a burger would, would hit the spot. So there wasn't a Five Guys or like a good burger place around, but I was really hungry. So my choices were between uh, McDonald's or Burger King. So driven by hunger, uh, I pulled into the Burger King drive-thru, and I thought I'd get a Whopper with cheese and no mayo. Just a hint for all of you. Now, in the old days, the menu boards at the drive-thru, you know, they were just like these kind of static photos. So, like, they look nice, you know, but they were kind of obviously staged. But nowadays, they have these digital boards. I'm sure you've seen them. Like, these burgers and fries and shakes and everything, they look lifelike. It's like you can almost see the oils and stuff and the cheese melting off of the burger in the picture. And you're getting hungry just thinking about this description right now. And so I was like, okay, great. This Whopper is going to be amazing, right? So the Whopper, it looked especially juicy and delicious and big. So I ordered one. I ordered one. And then I pulled around to the pickup window, paid. And then after I grabbed into the bag, I reached in and I pulled it out and I opened the wrapper. And what I got was not what the picture showed me. There was more lettuce than there was burger, right? Because Burger King, for some reason, they take a whole bag of lettuce that's chopped and they dump it on your burger and then they wrap it up. There's just a little bit of ketchup and like a couple of little sad pickles kind of all kind of piled on top of each other. And then the buns were kind of smashed together. Like you, you, I know you all feel my pain. You've, you've had to experience this yourself, right? That's what I got. It looked nothing like the picture. It was a sad burger. Now, I should have known better because the picture always looked better than what you're actually served. But you know, every time we go through the drive-through, we hope that what is ordered will one day look like the picture. We have a particular expectation of something, right? And then when that expectation meets the reality, more often than not, we are left with disappointment. And in the reading from the Old Testament, we see that crash between expectation and reality in the story of Naaman, the Syrian general. So let's break down the story a little bit. So Naaman is a commander of the armies of Aram, or Syria, and they are an enemy of Israel. And we see that Naaman has led attacks against Israel, and that interestingly, the God of Israel has given him victory. The gods of Syria don't grant him victory. The God of Israel, Yahweh, grants him victory. And we see here in the story that he has leprosy, which in the ancient world is probably a type of skin disorder similar to psoriasis, not, maybe not quite modern-day leprosy, which is called Hansen's disease. But this disorder, um, it kind of limits his effectiveness maybe a little bit, and there's some social stigma that he's experiencing, enough so that he wants to be rid of it. He wants to be healed. So one of his servant girls says, hey, just so you know, there's a prophet who lives in Samaria. He can cure you. 
Now, the servant girl, the text tells us, was taken on a raid. So you have a raid into Israel. Her family was probably killed. He takes this servant girl, and now the servant girl serves Naaman's wife, most likely. And she is, in spite of all of that, helping him, right? Saying, there's a prophet. He can help you. So, with this information, he goes to the king and he gets permission. And the king writes a letter and says, bring this to the king of Israel. So Naaman goes to the king of Israel and he brings with him a whole bunch of gifts, gold and clothes. He brings his entourage with him. Now, the king of Israel gets this letter and he gets really, really scared because Syria is really tough in battle. And the letter asks the king of Israel to heal Naaman. And the, and, and the king tears his clothes. He's like, I'm not God. How can I do this? So he tears his clothes because he's scared that this is like a prelude to war. Elisha hears about this and he sends a message to the king and says, hey, send this guy to me. And the king, probably eager to be rid of him, was like, yeah, get out of here. Thanks. Go to the prophet. He's over here. So Naaman goes to Elisha's house with his entire retinue, his entourage, right? A show of his importance and an identifier of who he is. What does Elisha do? Does he grovel? Does he come out of the house and kind of bow down and walk to Naaman and when he talks to him, doesn't look him in the eye? No. Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. Elisha says, hey you, to his messenger, go out, here's a message, Tell him what I'm about to tell you. And so Elisha himself doesn't even come out of his own home. He sends somebody else to Naaman. And he says, wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be cured. And so Naaman, like important rich people, when they're inconvenienced, is immediately angered. It's insulting. Do you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? Look at all these people I brought with me. Look at how I'm dressed. Look at all this money. Look at everything that I have. I'm kind of a big deal. And he leaves. He's immediately angered. And he leaves in a huff, insulted. And in verse 11 of the reading, it says, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Right? So he has this expectation of how he thought it was going to happen. Right? He, he figures, I'm going to come with all of this money. I'm going to come with all of this stuff. The prophet's going to see how important I am. He's going to come out. He's going to wave his hands, say some magic words over the leprosy. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to pay him, give him the gift, and I'm going to leave. It doesn't happen that way. He expects to be treated in a certain way. He expects his recovery to happen in a certain way, and it does not, and it makes him angry. So one of his servants comes over and asks him, look, if the prophet had said you, asked you to do something really crazy, wouldn't you at least have tried it? Like if he had told you, <laughs> this is not in the Bible, but this is just me. Like if he told you to like hold one leg, hop on one foot and pat the top of your head and like make it sound like a chicken, and then you would be healed. You probably would have done that, right? 
And Naaman's like, yeah, yeah, I probably would have done that. If the prophet said, I want you to go and jump up in the air 10 times, do three push-ups, spin around in a circle and fall down and you'll be healed. Would you have done that? And Naaman's like, yeah, I probably would have done something like that. So he says, what harm could it be than just to go into the river and do it? So Naaman listens to his credit. And so he goes to the Jordan, probably muttering under his breath the whole way. And he gets to the river he dips himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman, in spite of his anger, in spite of his position, and in spite of his pride, he listened to the word of the prophet and is healed by the God of Israel. And the story, we don't get the rest of it in the reading, ends up with Naaman becoming a worshiper of God. He comes back to Elisha and says, now I know that your God is God, and asks him, if it's okay for him to bring a bunch of a pile of earth with him back to Syria because what he's going to do is use that earth to build an altar on top to sacrifice to Yahweh. So a foreign general, an enemy of God's people is healed in the river and is brought into a relationship, is brought into the people of, of God. So Naaman rolls up into Israel expecting something to happen to him, his healing. He doesn't know if it was going to happen or not. All he knows is that there's someone here who could help him. He has this expectation. He expects this healing, and we see this in his taking the journey in the first place. But we, as we saw, when his expectation was not met, he reacted in anger and he stormed off. Remember, he said, I thought the prophet would wave his hands and say the magic words. It doesn't happen that way. The reality of his welcome, or lack of welcome in Israel, fell far short of what he seems to be expecting. And this is something, brothers and sisters, is, it happens to us. From something as benign as a burger not looking like a picture on the board, to our well-laid plans going off the rails. We carry within ourselves false expectations, and those false expectations need to be challenged. And once they are challenged, then we can begin the process of healing and transformation. So I'm going to talk about two false expectations. The first false expectation that we carry within us is false expectations about God. I come out of a tradition that placed huge expectations on God, that God has to move this way at this time and do this particular thing we expect. But when God didn't move the way we expected him to or do the thing we expected him to do, it causes tension. It caused tension between what we expected and the reality of the situation. And a perfect example of this would be, would be healing. We had a premium placed on divine healing, that if somebody had enough faith, then they could be healed. But many people died anyway, because the reality of the situation is even though Christ has freed us from sin and from death, we still have to go through death. I have a friend who because of an expectation like that, left the faith because he was brought up in a tradition that told him if he just believed hard enough, this would happen. And when it didn't happen, this whole thing's wrong. Other people place expectations on God in the sense that they don't believe that God does do things like heal anymore. So when the reality of God's goodness and love brings that about, they don't know how to react or to respond. 
I think the second false expectation that we deal with, which is obviously tied in with the first one, is false expectations of the spiritual life. This is a big one, I think, for us, because we all carry within us some deep expectations about how our spiritual lives should look. And this is due partly to the tradition that formed us in the Christian faith. And one of the issues that I think leads to this is sometimes is how Jesus is presented to us. Jesus is often presented to everyone as a panacea or a cure-all for everything. One time when I was younger, living overseas, I, I went, I was, I, I was involved with the youth group at the church, my, my late teens, early 20s. And there was a high school that was really close. So every year we'd go to the high school and they would have a week long of like sessions and then they'd have a concert afterwards and invite the kids. And it'd be a huge evangelistic thing. Come to Jesus, get saved. And so I remember I was with the team leader at the time and we, were, we, we had this session and we had a group of the kids. And um, I remember one of the girls just kind of raised her hand and the, the, the group leader called on her. I was like, yes. And the girl said something really interesting. She said, you know, you came here last year. And the leader's like, yes, I remember we were here last year. And then the girl said, you know, we, I listened to what you had to say last year. I, I said the prayer, you know, the prayer that was supposed to change everything. I invited Jesus into my heart, and nothing in my life has changed. So why should I listen to anything you have to say today? My life is exactly the same. And this teenager's comments, obviously, they've stayed with me a very, very long time. And it's still something I think about. You see, to this girl, Jesus was pitched as something that can make your life better. Jesus was pitched as a product, not as a person. And so much of Christianity is pitched today as Jesus as one product among many. If you don't like Jesus, try this expression of spirituality. If he, instead of, Jesus is not a product to be pitched. Jesus is, calls us into a relationship with a person, into union with a person. Not popular in school? Jesus can help. Have feelings of low self-esteem? Jesus is going to fix it. Her expectations of what would happen if she prayed the sinner's prayer was a, a wrong one, but it was given to her by people who were genuinely trying to help. And this can lead to some deep wounds and loss of faith, even if the faith was superficial. We have this expectation of the spiritual life, and some of it is formed by our spiritual formation, and some of it's formed by our experiences, obviously, in life. But we have this idea, this is how my spiritual life should be. And the reality of that hits the expectation, and it causes tension within us. It causes tension within us. We don't know how to react. And then when we receive those wounds, that can lead us to pride. Because like Naaman, we often have a higher opinion of ourselves than we should. Many of us fall prey to the sin of pride. And, and C.S. Lewis once noted that pride is the worst sin because it's the one that made the devil the devil. Pride is dangerous because when bad things happen to us, we may find ourselves thinking, I shouldn't be experiencing this because I was generous with the offering. Or why did this happen? I fulfilled my obligations to God by going to church every Sunday. I don't deserve this treatment. 
funny, uh, two days ago, a day ago, I was listening to a podcast. I listen to lots of podcasts. And the guest on the podcast used to be an evangelical Christian. I think it was a, a Baptist. And he was telling his story about, about how he left the faith. He, he's still spiritual in some sense. He practices some Eastern, uh, some forms of Eastern religion that have been heavily Americanized. But part of it was God is presented to me sort of like, the, like a Greek God, like in the sky ready to hurl lightning bolts. So I always felt like I had to prove to him that I was kind of really in. And it got to the point where all of the things he was trying to do to show God, to earn God's respect and earn God's love, right, to show that he was really serious about his faith, all led to him actually leaving the faith because he had was brought up with and given this false expectation of how the spiritual life worked. And when it crashed against the realities of actually living a spiritual life, it led to him leaving the faith. I was good. I did this. So this bad thing shouldn't happen to me. The reality, brothers and sisters, is that we have nothing to boast in except Christ, as St. Paul reminds us. And like Naaman, our pride needs to be confronted. It needs to be broken down because if we don't break down the walls of our pride, then we will miss the work that God is trying to accomplish in our hearts. So let's talk a little bit about humility. So when Naaman erupts in pride, his servants turn back to the task at hand, right? And they turn him back to the task at hand. He listed several cleaner, better, nicer rivers in his own country, but he wasn't told to go there. He was told to go to the Jordan. Brothers and sisters, we have to be humble too. We have to be humble enough to accept correction. We heard in the reading from Galatians, St. Paul says, those of you who are spiritual, restore those who have fallen. But he doesn't just leave it there. The, the problem is, brothers and sisters, is many of us think we're more spiritual than we are. And that we need to be shaken of that sometimes. We have to take our own steps into the Jordan River. We have to be humble. We have to be humble enough to receive correction, to receive instruction. And we have to be humble enough to do what God has tasked us to do. And the reality of the struggles of life, both the physical struggles and the mental struggles and the spiritual struggles we face, should drive us toward the river of humility, not away from it. Because, brothers and sisters, when we do this we are walking in the steps of jesus's own humility let's talk about jesus and his humility for a minute jesus demonstrates the ultimate at what it means to be humble that god the son becomes human not only does he become human he also goes to a river in his own life to be baptized which he doesn't even need because he's sinless and he's going to take away all sin but he does it anyway he humbles himself Jesus' act of humility and obedience then opens the door for our own. The water of the Jordan may look just like water, but Jesus transforms it into life-giving water. Bread and wine may look like bread and wine, but it is transformed. We may expect that a service or our experience of the sacraments or by the book, or something wrote, or just something that we do to obligate God. But the underlying reality is that they are the means by which God has saved us and continues to save us by transforming us into icons of Jesus Christ. 
And so just as Naaman was humble enough to go into the river and to be cleansed, we have a picture, brothers and sisters, not only of Jesus' own humility by becoming human and submitting to this, but we also see the pattern of our own salvation and we see the pattern of our own ongoing healing. Because we are brought into Christ through the waters of baptism. But just because we have been incorporated into Christ doesn't mean that the work is done. We have our spiritual life. We have our everyday walk. And there will be times where we will have to encounter God, where we will have to be healed and be made whole. But we have to be humble enough to hear the word of God, to hear the instruction of the word of God, and then humble enough to obey the word of God. St. Ephraim the Syrian commenting on the Naaman story, he said this, Naaman was sent to the Jordan as to the remedy capable to heal a human being. Indeed, sin is the leprosy of the soul, which is not perceived by the senses. And human nature must be delivered from this disease by Christ's power, which is hidden in baptism. It was necessary that Naaman, in order to be purified from two diseases, that of the soul and that of the body, might represent in his own person the purification of all the nations. And we see in Naaman, right, God's inclusion of all people, right? Not just the Jews, not just his own covenant people, but those who are outside his covenant people, the Jews and Gentiles brought in together to form a new family, a new covenant community, as St. Paul says in Galatians, of the Israel of God. And so, brothers and sisters, today, as we think about this story, as we think about this text, let us be encouraged, right, let us be encouraged that even though the reality of life, even though our experience of everyday living might clash with the expectations of how we think things should be, I like that hymn we sang at the very beginning of the service about God's faithfulness being great. Let us gain hope and gain strength from that, that even when things aren't going our way, even when our pride gets challenged, that God is still calling us to repentance and continual transformation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would consider helping to meet a major need that we have. Our building is in current need of some necessary repairs, so we've set up a GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash SaveZionStone. And I ask that you would please consider donating there, or if you'd like, you could also mail us something directly. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the church's Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, as well as our website. This podcast is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you.